It's Dagalberos Rudosagaton. You may remember me from my last episode here under the name Renhund. Confusing, I know. It's my goal in life to be as confusing to the members of the Galpal community as I possibly can be. And my wife, apparently. Ah, well, just wait until you hear my Roman name. It's even worse. So I'll be your host today. Uh, our good buddy Articatos has a, uh, some pressing engagements that prevent him from being the host currently, but uh, he will be back soon. Anyways, today we're going to be talking about regional focuses, and uh, have we got a guest list for you guys today. So first, our dear friend Lucatella, the only uh, gallo Pyrenean person I know, We've got a pretty sweet bit of talking for us today, uh, so that's going to be a treat. I'll let all of them finish their intros afterwards. Uh, second, we have the estimal Widukus, Brigantikifilius of Deo Mercurio fame here. Pretty sure I pronounced it right. He's a wonderful man with a shockingly hard to pronounce name. And our final guest, and this will come as no surprise to those of you watching on YouTube, you're all a bunch of cheaters and you ruined my surprise. Well, anyway, our final guest is Arcados. I told you he'd be back soon. Uh, anyway, so how's everybody doing tonight? Very well, thank you. Doing well, thank you. Doing pretty good, doing pretty good. <laughs> excellent, excellent. So before we really get into like the nitty gritty of the episode, um, how about we kind of just go in like a circle, I guess it looks like from my screen. I don't know how you guys have it set up, but uh, just kind of go tell us like a brief intro to like the region you're in or your involvement in golf pole, that kind of thing. After you guys. I guess I'll go first. Um, so uh, a lot, of, a lot of people already know me, especially if you listen, if you're a regular listener to this show. Uh, but uh, in this context, I, I am a, a Alpine uh, a Gaulish polytheist. Uh, my particular region is uh, the the Alps and uh, part of the part of the Rhineland a little bit. Um, Specifically, the Helveti is my tribe of choice, but uh, I've been uh, slowly uh, going and researching into some of the uh, neighboring tribes as well. I, I, I just the the whole Alpine area has just been fascinating to me. So I can go next. Um, this is uh, Vidukus, in case uh, you can't put a, a name to the to the voice, I guess. <laughs> um, so my area of focus is uh, the Treveri, or Treveri, um, who uh, inhabited the area along the Moselle River, um, very picturesque part of uh, what's today uh, the Rhineland of Germany, and also um, uh, most or nearly all of uh, Luxembourg, and uh, significant little slices of uh, Belgium and northeastern France. I mean, all, right. all of Luxembourg is not <laughs> every you know a big bragging right. Every heavily inhabited part of Luxembourg, for the most part. All right, and uh, I am Lucatilla. Uh, I have been. Uh, in the Gaulish polytheism community for the last year and a half. 
Um, but I have a long polytheistic background for the last 15 years before then. Um, I am currently focusing on uh, reconstruction work and folklore work in uh, what I'm calling Gallo-Pyrenean uh, praxis. Um, this started out as something that I wanted to look at with the Aquitani, and as I researched more about them, um, I started to realize that there was a lot going on in that region that was not necessarily of Gaulish origin. Uh, there was some uh, strong influence from uh, the Vasconic people, um, which is, of course, now modern day uh, Basque culture. Um, so it, in picking the term Gallo-Pyrenean for what I'm focusing on, uh, I am trying not to be appropriative in any way to uh, the living culture, the very vibrant culture of the Basque people. Um, but this, of course, means that my focus is in the Pyrenees Mountains for things, uh, which I have been greatly enjoying. I am very much a mountain person. Um, I spent uh, good chunks of vacation time in my childhood down in the Appalachian Mountains and have always felt drawn to mountain areas. So um, that's why I decided to choose to focus there. And there are no mountains in Texas. I think the closest I get is Enchanted Rock in Austin, which is still cool, really cool climb to do that was, but uh, it's not the same. <laughs> yeah, we have the uh, uh, the Selkirk foothills, which are uh, just at the base of the Rockies. So we have some mountains out here, just not um, just not the really impressive ones that like the Rockies. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> Oh, I was just going to say a bit like uh, Lucatilla, I, I, you know, grew up in the extremely flat Midwest, but uh, spent a lot of uh, summer vacations up in the Great Smoky Mountains of uh, eastern Tennessee. And yeah, I've, I've always had a place in my heart for mountains. Love it. Part of my, part of my drive now uh, to work pretty often is just going down 45 into Galveston. And so if you don't know, Galveston is an actual island off the Texas coast. Um, it's one of the, it's like, I think it's one of the barrier islands that was there. Uh, part of it is just this bridge across to the island. And if you look out to the east, it's just open ocean as far as you can see. And you see like the tip of the island. And it's pretty cool. It's one of my favorite views, especially uh, when I'm out there early enough to catch the sunrise. Beautiful. That's awesome. If I weren't if I weren't for like the politics of Texas, I would definitely like go out there and visit more. Um, this is an understandable. Yeah. That's that's why we're moving. Eventually. <laughs> eventually. My, my sister lives out in Austin, and uh, I want to visit her more, but then I think about like Ted Cruz, and it makes me shiver. That's fair. Greg Abbott's even worse, but that's not the podcast. Let's let's move. Let's yeah, <laughs> talk about that somewhere else. Um, what was I doing? Ah, yes. Where did I write my questions? There they are. So, anyway, so we are talking about regional regional practices. Uh, mine is just kind of along the Rhineland. I. Uh, I went a different direction than a couple of friends I've got, uh, Artocados and Renataurus being the two. He's uh, just kind of the Alpine region of the Rhineland, and I'm the Frankish side of the Rhine, and then you have Renataurus, the Alemanni side. It's all a bunch of 
same, same, but different, <laughs> to quote Reno. All right. So before we really get started, is there anything else anybody wanted to say? Anything? An adorable child. He's, yeah, just got out of his bath in his little bear towel. So he's getting ready for bed here soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, Sammy has to make his regular cameo, as always. Every episode. Every episode. Sure, sure, mine will be out in a minute. all right everybody so let's go ahead and get and let's dive in we've got some questions some stuff to talk about and uh so let's get started with number one (laughs) a very good place to start generally i could start with number nine but that's a little it's a little later we're going to talk about all the boring stuff then we'll get to the exciting questions (laughs) um so with the first one, we're going to talk about what drew you to the region you've chosen to specialize your practice towards. Uh, mine, really, I'm not joking when I say this, is me and Reno were buddies, and he was like, hey, here's Renis Pather. I was like, huh, interesting person. And I started looking, I was like, huh, cool. And here we are. <laughs> and that's where it started, and now I'm now here I am with a 15-inch tall golden angel statue. <laughs> For Eric Kira and I don't. And Reno and Kuno talked me into it. Well, didn't discourage me, I should say. Anyway. Enablers. Yes, they're the worst. All right. Enough about me. Uh, well, as I've talked about before, uh, I'm Swiss on both sides. And so, uh, you know, growing up, I've always looked into uh, Swiss history and I just wanted to know more and more about, uh, you know, my heritage, my origins. And um, especially after playing uh, back in the day, uh, Rome, t- uh, Rome, Rome Total War, I think it was, which, anyway, but they, that was the very first time I saw the word Gaul and uh, I started looking it up and researching it. And I just started falling more and more in love with it. And then um, when I, you know, became a full-on uh, polytheist, uh, I was like, well, what better place to start than with uh, the Gaulist deities? And then I did. And then as I, you know, got to know the community more and, and got and uh, dug into and learned more and more, I learned about the Helveti and uh, the, the different tribes and the different regions and how they all they all weren't the same. So uh, there was more of a cultural identity identity cultural identity with um with the, the the swiss and alpine tribes and uh and you know here i am i'm, I'm writing uh, uh stuff from my my blog for uh, quite a bit um so yeah i've just been in love with it since i, I i'll talk mountains and <laughs> in switzerland all day if you let me yeah that's that's interesting and my my um story originally started with a family connection as well one of my um great grandparents was from uh you know this little uh village in the Rhineland um in what's what would now be uh the Treveran area I have absolutely no idea if the family goes back anything like that far um likelihood is they don't but you know that was kind of an in, so I thought, okay, I'll start poking around in the area. And um, so for 
about four years or so, I was living in um, Turkey, which um, doesn't seem particularly connected, but um, there are so many, um, there's such a large uh, ethnic Turkish population in Germany that there's a ton of like discount uh, airlines that fly from Turkey to Germany and vice versa. Um, so I was flying over to Germany on the cheap and just, you know, exploring all kinds of historic sites there, going to the museums, you know, I went to, I found a little village, you know, that uh, my great grandfather apparently uh, emigrated from and, uh, and it's, you know, within, uh, let's say maybe a, an hour's drive or so from uh, the city of Trier, which, um, you know, is really uh, just a, a fascinating monument of like the complexities and history of Roman and, you know, medieval uh, Europe in that part of the world. You can see them layered on top of each other and all of these monuments, um, you know, going back. The, the big, the big uh, kind of symbol of the city is the Porta Nigra, which is like the, 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 the black gate. Um, originally a gate in the uh, city walls uh, that surrounded uh, Trier and were and were built to like you know defend the Romano-Celtic uh, people living there uh, from from Germanic invaders in I think the third anyway third or fourth century. So um, so anyway, I, I was just you know visiting a lot and kind of uh, fell in love with this area. And the deeper I dug, the more I was like, wow, this is. This is something I really want to uh, want to pursue and uh, find interesting. So, for uh, focusing in in the uh, Pyrenees Mountains specifically, as I alluded to in my introduction, um, my family, mom's side of the family, is from East Tennessee, uh, and I spent uh, lovely summer vacations down on the farm with uh, my grandmother, who I'm named after. Um, and so I've always been drawn to mountains as a focal point. And I've always been drawn to physical, physical landscapes as a focal point of anything that I ever do. Um, I grew up on the shores of Lake Michigan. I could open my front door and hear the waves. Uh, it was a four minute walk to the beach. Uh, so having that uh, focus when I was much younger and coming up through polytheism, I spent so much time down on the shores of the lake. Um, I'm just always drawn to those physical landscape objects and how that can connect me to uh, what my, my polytheism informs me of. Um, so when I first got into uh, Gaulish polytheism, um, I came in uh, actually through Granis, uh, a wonderful encounter through a guided meditation with him. But as I started dipping my feet into the community further, um, looking around, I was like, what's going on in Gallia Aquitania? And I got crickets, because uh, <laughs> there's not a whole lot of other people focused in on that region that I'm aware of in our community at this time. So I started digging in further and I went, I bet the Pyrenees Mountains would be a fascinating place to center a, a focus on for everything I wanted to research. Um, and as I dug in, as I said, I found it got a lot more complex than I thought it would be. Um, luckily, I love sinking my teeth into a good puzzle, um, especially when there's just uh, little bits and pieces of evidence here and there. I feel like that uh, that meme where there's the person with the, the bulletin board and the strings and all the photos trying to explain everything sometimes, but um, <laughs> it's a great uh, 
it stimulates my intellect enough that I'm, I'm very much invested in doing it. Um, <laughs> I have mad respect for uh, all of the mountain peoples. And like I said, the Basque culture today is still a very vibrant one um, that has had their own struggles and their own history. So when I go in and research these things, I feel like I have to be very respectful to them. I give them all due credit for everything because a lot of the extant folklore I have in that area is Basque. So um, it's been fascinating and I've been enjoying the heck out of it. <laughs> nice. That, that Charlie Day meme is basically uh, Daglobaros, my, uh, Reno, and, and myself whenever we like get together and talk, like, <laughs> hey, have you looked at this rabbit hole? You, you ever, ever heard of Cobalts? And then, like, that's just how we all look by the end of it, just like pointing at different links, <laughs> strings on the, on the board. And none of us are on the same page ever. <laughs> ever we all we all come from it from different angles and then we end up in similar but wildly different places uh charlie mapping is an approved recognized and encouraged verb in the mantelon world <laughs> um so to kind of piggyback off of all of that was uh so they're all super interesting stories was there anything specific like is there a specific uh, thing, like place, uh, sculpture, something like that, a bit of folklore that really hooked you into the region you've chosen to specialize in? I get to blame Wikipedia partially. Um, <laughs> Wikipedia is, do. disclaimer, Wikipedia is not a great place to take your research from at face value, but Wikipedia is really nice for looking for further sources for things, because if you've got a really nicely cited Wikipedia article, you can wander down into all of the nice citations and go use all of those sources. Um, and of course, I'm wandering down the Wikipedia page for, I think it was just Gaulish deities or whatever, uh, just looking at names and seeing who wanted to uh, pop out at me if there was anything of interest. And I saw this name that didn't look particularly Gaulish to me or Dietze, and I'm like, that doesn't really, I, I don't know a whole lot of Gaulish language and you know the way words are constructed, but that just doesn't really strike me as a particularly Gaulish name. I There's wanna a know Z more. in this word. Yeah, exactly. uh, well, so on the, on the Wikipedia <laughs> page, there isn't. Why? Yeah, on the Wikipedia page, there is not. Um, but when you go back and with the original inscription, there isn't. But if you go uh, and you look at the Basque word, because um, spoiler alert, it is Basque, uh, Erditse with the Z in it directly translates to childbirth. So I was like, yes, it does. If you go to Google Translate right now and you type in Erditse in Basque to English, it will go to childbirth. Um, <laughs> so there was All a right. huge rabbit hole there. I was like, where is this deity from? One votive altar in Toulouse, and we don't have it anymore. It, we just have what the inscription read and a description of what the altar looked like. So I went down a massive rabbit hole. Um, trying to figure out where this altar was and what the heck the inscription meant. And it's basically a group of people discharged their vow to the god Eridice. That's it. So reconstructing her and, and trying to figure out what that would have meant and how to translate it forward into what we do today uh, in a relevant manner was my huge rabbit hole into all of this. And of course, that altar was found in Toulouse. Um, which I am fascinated with and know we're probably going to talk about where we want to go in our areas later. I want to go to Toulouse, just saying. 
We'll revisit it. And then you can spiel about Toulouse. Have at it. Excellent. Yeah, I I think like I was uh, thinking about Renasagaton's question there, and um, the the thought that first popped into my head was um, there's there's this um, sort of town in in um, southwestern Germany, uh, like like even southwest of Trier, which is quite near the border anyway, um, where like the Germans, I don't know how they got into this. They take reconstruction crazy seriously, right? So they have rebuilt in situ a temple of mercury up in the hills you know like overlooking the moselle valley you can't actually see the water from there but it's right there through the trees and um so so anyway so like you know the the place is called Tavaum, which um similarly like is a name that kind of doesn't fit it's not german and it turns out to just be the um, latin word for taverns um and uh, so you go up to Tavaum and you're kind of climbing up this hill and, and gradually ascending towards this uh, like rebuilt, perfectly, you know, 100% uh, uh, solid uh, reconstructed uh, shrine of Mercury. And yeah, that just friggin' blew my mind because I'm a Mercury devotee and uh, and in particular of, you know, the Gaulish Mercury uh, proper to this area. And uh, yeah, just seeing the whole thing of it, they've got a restored cult statue in there. They've got a, um, a little Jupiter column, like it's, uh, it's full on. It's, it's really, uh, really exciting to see. Is the Jupiter column painted? Because they're hideous when they're painted. <laughs> I like them painted. No, it's, it's uh, monochrome. Kind of a, a sandy color. Better, much better monochrome. Eh, um, I'm a I'm a polychrome uh, polychrome true believer. The cult statue of Mercury in there is polychrome. That does sound interesting. Like, mm -hmm. It's cool, but the Jupiter columns were not not pretty. Yeah, chacun son goût, I suppose opinions anyway what about you uh well i uh, i've always like i said in my in my intros that i've always been uh just wanted to know everything and everything anything and everything about switzerland uh but what really like kind of grabbed me as far as uh, uh when i was becoming uh, a full-on polytheist was uh a goddess who i had never even heard of until i played a game called smite called rto um and I was like, I, you know, I, I stopped playing Smite after a short while just because that game is toxic as hell. Uh, the community is very mean, very, very mean. But that's not the point. The, uh, but Artie, I like just she kind of jumped out at me from the from the from the game. And I just I, I couldn't get out of my head, her out of my head. And uh, I'm actually currently writing. I'm about to finish writing an article on her now. I don't know why it took me so long, but um uh, and it just because there's not a whole lot if you when you look up on Wikipedia and I, I use Wikipedia as kind of like a, a starting point like you were like you were saying like because it's it's not a great to just take it at its word you have to, if it's well cited it's a great way to start it, it's a great way to find sources as, uh, like yeah, I, most of my books are from sources I've seen commonly uh, on Wikipedia but um, 
I found out that uh, she is uh, mainly found in uh, Bern, Switzerland, uh, which um, I, when I was writing the article, I dug into more and more recently. And uh, I, I was fascinated with that city before, but um, just in the research I've been doing uh, in the last couple of weeks, um, I want to go to Bern so bad because they have um, a huge bear enclosure there. And I love bears. So, like That's like the, the whole city is devoted to bears even today and uh it's just fascinating how whether it's uh, a celtic culture uh, a, a gallo-roman culture or a germanic culture like bears are like that is the 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 thing of burn and uh i i love it i wanted to go see it so bad um uh yeah it's it just it, it was just one of those things that like uh, just do just doing a little bit of research, something just pops out at you and it just kind of grabs hold of you. And that's what RTO was for me. And I've had a lot of experiences with RTO since then. Um, yeah, I, I would say that's that's what really like really drew me is specifically to the Helvetii, even though she has she does have inscriptions in parts of southern Germany. But it just seems like the main focus was in um, Bern, Switzerland. Nice. I actually didn't know that. So learning things. It's cool. Um. <laughs> Since a couple of people have mentioned Wikipedia so far, I have to I have to admit, full disclosure, I am a Wikipedian. And for a while there, I was making it a little project of mine because I had a job where I didn't have a whole lot to do. Uh, to go through and uh, like find all of the like Celtic religion or Gaulish religion related articles that I could find and try and tidy them up. And I know we've got another person now who's taking up that mantle and uh, yes, good, good luck. There's an awful lot of nonsense to clean up, but. Oh yes. yeah. Yeah. Definitely best of luck. <laughs> oh, that oh, absolutely. Uh, they're in the, they're in the Gaulish kid in ADF, that person. So mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it's like a pretty good, pretty good dude. So full, full support for that project. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I was I was going to mention that you've done a lot of those articles. Every once in a while, I'll be I'll be arguing a point uh, with somebody, and they'll be like, "Well, here, look, it says on the Wikipedia page," and I'm like, "Oh yeah, that's a Wikipedia page that I wrote. Cool." <laughs> like, hmm, how dare you use my own words against me? <laughs> That uh, the Lugus meme that you see sometimes is like, you know, the, the three-headed or three-faced, one-headed uh, deity that's like a ridiculously terrible, low-quality scan. Uh, but like, it's just, it's the Wikipedia image if you search for Lugus. Like, mm -hmm. I scanned that from a book in my library, like, I don't know, 15 years ago or something. And like, and I just slapped it up as like a stopgap. Okay, need to find a better image, but until I do, this will just go there. And I and here it is. Years later, it's like, oh wow, this is taking off. <laughs> it's like I'll eventually get around to it. I'll eventually get around to it for sure. For sure. Oh man, that's funny. I didn't know that part either. It's been there for so long. <laughs> Oh, yeah. And so I know Lucatello's kind of mentioned it uh, a little bit. 
So we're going to go to this one because this is a little more interesting than the next two. We'll talk about those in a minute. Uh, so how have neighboring cultures influenced the region you picked? Um, uh, uh, well, for the, uh, uh, for the, a lot of the Alpine tribes, uh, it, it, it kind of like how it, it's kind of like how Switzerland is today where there you have, essentially like four different languages uh there uh, that that kind of are puzzle piece all over uh switzerland and that's kind of how it's always been uh you have like the the more northern like the northern part which is uh very heavily germanic influence like the helveti um well, i can't remember any of the tribes name off the top of my head uh, but then you have the um, the east the yeah eastern side which which had the the Reti, which are kind of um, Etruscan or, or, or Etruscan originate, um, but uh, I, I, so there's some Italic and um, uh, influence there. Uh, obviously, the Southern Alps, which uh, Rome started taking bit by bit as they started to creep up north. So you have a lot of uh, uh, Gallo-Roman influence from in the Southern Alps, and then um, uh, uh, over time, you have you know you have um, kind of like the I don't want to use the word pure, but I guess um, just just Gaulish uh, tribes out west. Um, and, uh, and but with the, uh, the 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 rivers that go through Switzerland, like the Rhine and the Rhone, you had a lot of um, uh, communication with a lot of the uh, the Greek cities, um, Massalia. Um, uh, I don't know any of the ones that are like more east. I can't remember. I don't know any off, off the top of my head. But you had a lot of um, a lot of trading and communicating with uh, with Hellenistic cultures. Um, which, from what I've seen in various documentaries, uh, Gauls loved Greek stuff. They really like that was their bu their bougie like taste was uh, Greek influenced in art. Um, but uh, historically, looking at the Helveti specifically, uh, they really they first popped up during the Cimbrian War, and the Cimbrian were a very dramatic tribe. So uh, they they allied themselves during the Cimbrian War. So there's I, I would say it's mainly Germanic uh, influenced on the culture, but the uh, the Latin uh, material culture is what kept them, you know, kept them in, in, within the uh, Celtic identity. Um, but yeah, I would say the the it, I, I, uh, mainly Germanic, but a little bit of Greek influence. Uh, uh, one last thing, I, I, I haven't looked into it myself, but I read somewhere I, uh, in the, the Gallic Wars that Caesar said that the Helveti actually used a phalanx formation. And I was like, oh, that's weird. I didn't think the Helveti would have used like a, a more formalized uh, battle formation like that. I did, you know, Celtic warfare was more malleable. They was just launched themselves at the Roman lines and just kind of, they would immediately fill up any kind of gaps in the line. And that's, that was like their one advantage against uh, the Roman military. Um, but if they did in fact have phalanx, um, which is the more concentrated cube of spears, which does appear later on in Swiss history, uh, halberds and the, and pike formations do are very uh, culturally resonate uh, 
they culturally resonate with Switzerland today. So if they did have a phalanx, it would probably have been from Greek influence. And Gauls loved to um, sell, sell their warriors as, not sell, <laughs> offer their services as warriors to, uh, <laughs> to places like Greece and, and Egypt. Uh, I mean, that's how the Galatians got to Anatolia is that they uh, got involved as mercenaries in a, in a Greek war. And it's like, you know what? We're just going to set up camp right here in this in, in Anatolia. So that's uh, that's the cultural influence in the Alps. Rolled up in the Anatolia and they went, hey, Ogalish Zeus, and went from there. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it, the, the Trevorai are interesting because kind of similarly, they're at this um, interface between like the Celtic and the Germanic uh, influences. So um, according to some of the historians, you know, the uh, Trevor, I like to brag about having been originally from Germania, which doesn't necessarily mean that they were Germanic, but anyway, from having crossed the Rhine and this was supposed to be a, a symbol of how like tough and, you know, and martial they were or something. Um, but um, so it's, which kind of has this funny resonance with, you know, the way that uh, Luxembourg and, and the vicinity, Alsace and the area um, are today as being similarly like this kind of interface of the, like Germanic and the, and the French kinds of influences. So, um, but as far as anybody can tell, the Trevorai spoke Celtic, um, worshiped, nearly all Celtic deities, um, you know, their, their, their affinities seem to be on the surface, very Celtic, but they're, uh, you know, they also had these strong kind of kinship ties with people on the other side of the Rhine who would be like their allies and their, and their uh, people that they could bolt to in situations when like after, you know, the rebellion of uh, 69 to 70 CE, you know, a lot of the Trevorai uh, who were involved in the rebellion ran away. Uh, they ran across the River Rhine and, and found a, you know, found refuge with their uh, Germanic cousins uh, over there. But at the same time, the Trevorai, so having originally this kind of mixed cultural background, became quite early adopters of Romanization so they um, also took on, you know, a lot of uh, Roman influences in, for example, um, the Jupiter Gigantensäule, uh, the, the sort of the, the statues, you know, with Jupiter uh, usually uh, seating on a, seat, seated on a horse, uh, riding down a giant on the top of this gigantic column that was, uh, you know, kind of quintessential thing of Mainz, which used to be part of the Trevoran area. Um, and, uh, and then later became, you know, really quite cosmopolitan and welcoming deities like Mithras and Isis and Jupiter Optimus Maximus Dolichanus from the so-called Oriental parts of the Roman Empire, you know, from Syria and, and Egypt and, uh, and uh, supposedly Iran in the case of Mithras. So, um, so yeah, they, they started out as, as being this, you know, mainly as far as anybody can tell two-way kind of cultural uh, interface area and then opened up uh, even more as time went on. 
because there were a lot of um, commercial uh, relationships as well. You know, the Trevor I were were selling their wine and their uh, their uh, woolens and other kinds of uh, goods. You know, foodstuffs uh, which they would sell not only to the Roman army but also keep on sailing down the Rhine and uh, out as far as like you know as far as Britain and as far as uh, you know farther south in in Gaul like to Lugdunum or whatever you know the Trevor I uh, they got around yeah so I spoke a little bit earlier about um, Basque culture today uh, and how finding remnants of that folklore and that etymology in what I'm looking at in Gallo-Pyrenean. Um, the interesting thing that we have uh, on record for the Aquitani uh, particularly is we have uh, accounts from both Strabo and Caesar saying that they are different in dress, in language, uh, and in appearance to Gaulish people, um, which when I read that, I was like, interesting. Let's see where this goes. Uh, the Aquitanian language um, has about 400 different words, theonyms, um, and names that we have left today. Uh, an interesting uh, connection that's been made, um, and it was kind of realized back in the 50s, uh, Luis Michelina was a Basque uh, linguist who decided to sit down and see if he could work backwards from Basque, um, which is a language isolate. It's not Indo-European. It does not have any uh, currently existing uh, language relations or families um, that we can find. So he, was, he sat down and he decided to work backwards and see if he could figure out what pre-Basque was going to look like. Um, and when he completed his pre-Basque project, uh, it was realized that it looked incredibly, incredibly similar to Aquitanian. Um, what we had left. So uh, there is a um, widely accepted, I would say, uh, connection here of Aquitanian was the precursor to modern day Basque language. Uh, so I'm when I'm looking at all of the influences that I can see, as, as I mentioned with Erdice's name earlier, Basque, Basque language, it's a Basque word. Um, I'm trying to take a look at all of the folklore that I have left along the Pyrenees and work backwards to how that could have influenced uh, the person living there 2000 years ago. Um, there is a strong uh, folkloric remnant of bear worship. Um, Articados earlier was talking about um, Artio. Uh, I am looking for the bear deity specifically right now, um, but there is a lot of uh, bear processional um, that goes back quite a ways. Uh, there's Bear Day is basically February 2nd right now in modern culture, and they have a processional good luck uh, walk through the village, basically, where somebody dresses up as a bear uh, and harasses, I'm going to put air quotes around that, harasses the spectators and gives them good luck for the year. Um, it's fascinating uh, to see these folkloric things and think how far back does that actually go. Um, I also read a paper recently about a bear deity going into the Spanish side of the Pyrenees, a um, bear deity who was thanked by Roman beekeepers. And why would beekeepers be thanking a bear? Well, there's, you know, uh, maybe the bear led them to honey, but we're looking at an industrial Roman beekeeping thing. And for that, you would want to keep the bears away. So there's an interesting thought process there of maybe they're thanking the, the bear deity there 
for keeping the bears away from the industrial Roman beekeeping, which there's just so many fascinating little things there to, to dig into that um, I think is really underexplored. Uh, and then of course, you've got the influence of down on the Mediterranean coast, you've got the Greece, you've got Massalia, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, uh, <laughs> but you've got that influence there as well. Um, and you see a strong um, and more written about culture down on that Mediterranean side. I'm very curious to work my way up to the northern end of the Pyrenees more and see if I can dig more in there um, because the Basque people um, up in the northern end of the Pyrenees were very, uh, I'm going to say insular. I don't want to say isolated, but there's there's pockets and stuff like that, you know? <laughs> <laughs> Nailed it. <laughs> Sorry, we had some technical difficulties and uh, we had to re-record this. We don't know where we stopped. So we're just keep going. My computer hates hates us. <laughs> oh, good times, good times. Oh man, that's funny. Um, so let's go with these next two. Uh, so just to kind of get back on track after our little mishap. Uh, so what are some of the advantages and disadvantages of having a regionally focused practice like all four of us do? Uh, for me, it's uh, the biggest advantage is it gives me something to focus on. <laughs> like It's like I can, this is the area. I'm not looking at Britain anymore you know i'm like okay rhine rhine river there's no rhine in britain go away <laughs> you know it's like it, it's it's uh, that's the biggest advantage for me is it gives me something to focus on and helps me keep my keep my adhd brain under control <laughs> and uh i think the biggest disadvantage is when there's just nothing on certain deities and then they're not found anywhere else so you're like well i guess i gotta make it up which is a terrible way to do it but it works sometimes you know but on that point too i mean you know if you if you look at kind of the numbers of deities that are that are recorded on various inscriptions and things like you know practically every region practically every place you look in gaul people were worshiping deities whose names are mentioned in like only that one place or only yeah. a couple and I think, you know, if you, if you are digging into a regional focus, that gives you an in, in sort of, you know, researching and thinking about those deities. Whereas, you know, if you're kind of generic pan-Gaulish or even pan-Celtic, you know, you would just sort of round them off the edges and, you know, and focus on big name deities that everybody knows about, like, like Kernonos or... or Epona or whoever, right? Which is not to, you know, downplay their importance, but, you know, clearly, clearly the, the locally specific deities would have been important um, to a lot of people in ancient Gaul. Yeah, I mean, 100%, like, uh, like what you said, uh, it, it is nice to have a, 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 just a specific area to focus on, because there's so many different tribes, and each tribe is very new unique in its own way that it would be 
crazy to try to focus on Gaul in its entirety. Um, I mean, the same could be said for the Greek city-states. You know, uh, Athens was not the same as Sparta. And, and, and you can look at those nuances in a lot of different uh, cultures. Um, but yeah, it, 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 but also like what you were saying is that um, if you uh, if you are drawn to certain deities, like uh, for, for me, I, I'm a big uh, devotee of Tyrannus. As far as I'm aware, there is no Tyrannus in the Alps. There's uh, Peninos, uh, who is probably the closest to a Tyrannus-like figure. Um, Cronunos is uh, also a big uh, uh, deity in, in my personal practice, but as far as I can tell, there is no Cronunos uh, worship in the Alps. So there's definitely that. But um, uh, And... and uh, I would say that's that's mainly like, that would be the, the for my for myself the two biggest uh, you know advantages and disadvantages is just uh, while yeah you're limiting you're limiting your focus on to a specific area but you're also kind of um, taking a uh, kind of you know limiting yourself on on certain deities that that kind of catch your eye kind of thing not saying that you can't look into those deities for your for your own personal practice but. You know, it would just be nice if they were all in the same area, you know. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that sentiment. Um, I have enjoyed narrowing my focus down um, because, as everyone has alluded to, having that focus is really nice to kind of center around. Um, I, When I came in um, to Gull Chat specifically, it was nice to have a home, and then I wanted to make – I wanted my own bed somewhere, basically. Um, you want to make your own little space uh, and finding a, a regional uh, practice to focus on is a really nice way to kind of carve out that space for yourself. Um, I have really appreciated um, having that that focus down like that um, for my own personal identity within uh, Gaulish praxis. Um, and I also feel like my study got a lot deeper. Um, I have a lot of uh, visualizations um, with my deities that I'm working with, with energies that I'm working with, and that got so much more intense once I picked a region to focus on. Um, really dialing into that specific energy um, was just a really transcendental experience for me. Um, and it's breaking a lot of new ground in my case, too, because as I mentioned, I really did not find a whole lot of people hanging out in Gallia Aquitania uh, when I got into this. So <laughs> it's kind of nice to be um, presenting things to the community and have have other people give me feedback that goes, that's really cool. Uh, this is exciting to hear about. I'm glad someone is hanging out up there finally. Um, but for disadvantages, I do uh, also agree with Articados. Um, it's, as I said, Granis brought me in. Granis is not really down along the Pyrenees anywhere. Um, so I, I do still have personal, other personal relationships with those uh, more widely known um, deities, but um, there is a, you look at it with a different lens when you've got a regional perspective that you've been focused in on for a while. Um, and it, I wish that was a little more avoidable, but it is what it is. It's, it's funny you say that because, uh, you know, like when I came in, I, I didn't, I didn't really know that people were doing uh, regional and tribal focused things. Um, it wasn't until I started reading uh, Sigalwiros's work and you know how he's very uh, Belgic uh, focused, and then um, as I started kind of diving more into it, it was uh, I remember talking to you a little bit, uh, Vindicus, uh, about the 
the I think it was the Rarachi. Uh, you were doing a presentation for uh, um, I think the Comreton. Um, yeah, or no, it was uh, it was Vivian. That that's it. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And I remember reaching out to you about that because I never heard of them, and they're actually really hard to find on online. But yeah, they were um, uh, kind of like uh, they weren't part of the Helvetii, but they were close allies to them, from what I've read. And and so they, and that's and then from there, that's kind of when I when I I, I decided to expand to not just tribal but to uh, regional uh, for, so just instead of just the plateau which is where the Helvetii were I reached out to the whole alpine area and it, it's uh, you know you have like the the, the, the Ligurian uh, um, kind of Italic uh, influence tribes to the south you know southern Alps so it just um, it, it's just cool to kind of uh, you know gone into the community with with a very narrow perspective and then uh, kind of grown into a wider perspective you know thanks to you know interacting with guys like with like guys like you that's awesome yeah yeah that's fantastic um yeah it's it's kind of funny like you know my um my website deomercurio.be is kind of written with the assumption that most people are probably going to want to specialize uh with a regional focus <laughs> and like I, I don't know. I made a lot of kind of uh, bizarro assumptions when I uh, started that because it was just me sitting in my apartment in Istanbul and like, you know, imagining what uh, what Gaulish polytheism might be like. Um, but um, but yeah, I mean, like definitely, you know, what along the lines of what you're talking about with the, the Alps and the and the adjacent plateau, like, you know, with a with a regional focus, you can um, really form a connection with deities that have a specific geographic reference as well. So, like for example, there's the god uh, Mercury Vosigus, uh, literally Mercury Vosges, right up in the Vosges region of uh, of Alsace. There's you know our our favorite river deities, the Moselle, Mosella, the Saone, Sokomna, the, um, obviously the Rhine, right? Reynospater, and, uh, you know, like, like specific mountain ranges, specific rivers, specific cities, uh, you know, are also deities. Um, and, you know, and if you're focused in on a particular region, then those kind of come into, it's easier to appreciate their significance in a certain way. Um, so for instance, like the, the city of Bibracte uh, was worshiped as a goddess in, uh, not in Bibracte, the old location, but in the new location where they moved the capital of the Aedui to uh, in what's now Otan. So in other words, you know, the, the Bibracte, the site was abandoned that was like a hill fort or not abandoned but lost its political significance but was still worshipped as a deity as a goddess in the new location that was the capital of the Aedui which is just kind of an interesting you know like like if you if you get that history and you get that background then it's sort of like oh okay I see I, I can at least imagine sort of where where they were coming from with the goddess Bibracte and so on, and, you know, a ton of, uh, of similar cases in, you know, mutatis, mutandis. Like uh, Aventia and, and um, Aventicum. Totally, absolutely, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, another great example.
I had something to say. I forgot it. <laughs> oh, well. Uh, Insert brilliant thought by Runa Sagaton here. Uh, it, it was a great one. Sorry, I have a tendency to babble. <laughs> no, that's fine. Uh, Follow me. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, it's gone. Never mind. <laughs> I was hoping it would come back to me, but oh well. There's some, something about region, regional, and then you can start. It actually plays into the next question that we're going to get into. <laughs> Excellent. Well, the next two questions, which uh, is one of my favorites and is always the most interesting part of areas to me, at least at first, is what are some of the gods and goddesses in your region? And just like a couple, just, you know, three, three or four sentences about them. Just give me the highlights. Go. Uh, well, I already gave a little spiel on RTO, and uh, like I said, for uh, my my WordPress, I'm I'm uh, getting really close to finishing it. I, I have a like one or two more paragraphs to to wrap it up with. Um, but uh, I already um, there's a Anechlamara who is a goddess who is so obscure that basically, like, if you were to look her up, like, there's just the one inscription that has her name, and somehow. I turned that into this huge thing and I've had plenty of uh, experience with her as a, a goddess of protection, goddess of light, um, a very balder esque figure for any of the, any heathens listening to this. Um, there's a, a Windedas. Uh, I keep wanting to say that V, but, uh, cause it's slow with a V, but it's, it's pronounced with a W, but Windedas, <laughs> uh, uh, Windedas, uh, uh, who is kind of a god of hot springs because he's uh, he, there's an inscription of him and pro- possibly a place of worship in um, uh, Iverdon. I'm probably butchering that name because it's in the French speaking uh, part of Switzerland. Um, Water mountain floating. Like I said, there's a there's a Ventia. We haven't really looked into yet, but yeah, she's kind of like the patron goddess that um, uh, Aventicum and Avanches is kind of named after. Uh, there's Matutinus uh, uh, and uh, and Darta, who are two other bear deities that I've I've found out about. Um, a lot of people think that Andarta and Arti are kind of the same. I I don't. I have not really. I don't really subscribe to that notion. Um, I've, I've got a little bit of UPG with uh, uh, Andarta, and she's way more aggressive than RTO. <laughs> um, uh, there's all, you know, there's Sukelos and Epona, who are kind of like the big names that show up in, in various places. Um, there's uh, Kai Sivis, who uh, I've done a little bit of research on so far. I haven't really been able to dig deep yet, but he's kind of an Ogmios like figure, kind of a. Um, and uh, someone that started out as so, someone that probably started off with uh, ancestor worship that kind of expanded. Um, as far as I can tell so far, I haven't really looked into it yet, but that's just uh, a couple names off the top of my head. There's I, I have like three or four lists I'm trying to smush together into one list of uh, of alpine deities. The hassle, there's a lot in the mountains. Oh, yeah. 
So uh, with my look into uh, Gallo Pyrenean, of course, I already mentioned Irdice, um and how she kind of drew me in further into that region that I was already interested in. Um, she too only has one inscription. Uh, and as I mentioned, it's not uh, indicative of anything particularly for an attribute for how to work with her. So there was a lot of deep diving into the further folklore in that region to try and give her some context that made sense in modern Gaulish praxis today. Um, of course, uh, her name means childbirth. Um, and in uh, existing Basque mythology, there is a strong theme of both the gods uh, and spirits and weather coming from underground in caves out of mountains. Um, so when I started entering more uh, visual work with her in my meditations, uh, she kept giving me caves and badgers. And I had to go hunt down why I was getting badgers. Caves made sense. I'm in a mountain uh, mountain area. There's caves in the mountains and, and Basque folklore informs that there would be uh, a spiritual connection coming out of the mountains um, and going back into the mountains. Uh, so the badgers, um, it turns out that the Basque word for badger is little bear. So I went back to bears and said, okay, tell me about bears in uh, folklore uh, in this region. Um, and I found both the uh, good luck processional festivals in the region, um, but I also found a connection of um, bear paws uh, as good luck symbols. And specifically, when you take that down to badgers, badger paws as uh, symbols of like amulets of good luck for children which tied back to the childbirth thing very nicely. Uh, so I ended up interpreting her as um, the goddess who guides between, um, which I picked for, you can choose to interpret that literally as she's midwifing an actual birth, or you can choose to interpret that as you are entering a spiritual space and she's helping facilitate you into and out of that spiritual space. You're entering the underground, you are coming out of the underground what was your spiritual experience and how you got back and forth with those things. Um, so that was just a whole fascinating badger hole to go down. And I'll throw this in there for the Comritan. I am I am giving a talk, uh, or did say down the badger hole. So this has been a little teaser of all of my research for that. Um, I also was looking at tree deities along the Pyrenees. Um, there is a strong silvopastoral uh, culture going on there where you are um, bringing the herds up into the mountains in the summer, you're bringing them back down into the lowlands in the winter, and of course while they're down there they're going to be fertilizing your fields. Um, so in the summer when they head back up you can grow all your crops, um, but there's a lot of tree deity action going on down there too. And I stumbled into a tree deity um, that I thought was a boar deity. <laughs> I, I was looking for boars, I didn't find them. Uh, I went for Baco, and he's um, attributed as a boar god. And I went down another badger hole with him. Uh, it's just because his name looks like bacon. Uh, I, I, at the beginning of it, I was like, I swear if it's because his name looks like bacon, <laughs> that's why he's a boar god. I'm going to be so mad. Um, <laughs> oh, my poor partner had many, was subjected to many rants on that front. Um, but it turns out as we went, I went down the etymological route with that one. And Baco um, probably comes out of the Latin word fagus for beach, um, because that is, becomes the bagos in Gaulish or bago in Basque. 
Um, and we do see some C and G uh, interchangeable action going on in those languages as well. Um, so then I was looking more for um, into uh, inscriptions to Fago, Fagus. Um, and I came across an interesting one where a swine herd thanked him for his help. Uh, you know, I fulfilled my vow to Fagus. And I'm like, why? So we've got pigs, we've got boars again, we've got beech trees. So what's the connection here? Boars feed on beech nuts. So I, in a very roundabout way, I got back to boar god, <laughs> but I got beech tree god who, who also is associated with boars. So that was just a fun, fun place to go. Um, where do I go next right now? Um, I'm looking at Abelio, who is uh, usually associated with Apollo. Um, there may be some sun and some apple tree associations, more trees. Um, I am also looking into, um, and this uh, comes out of some water cultist talks that have been happening on the Discord servers, uh, a spirit or a deity of the Garonne River. There is no attested spirit or deity that I can directly tie that I've looked at so far. But um, Garonne is a, uh, probably ties back into Aquitanian. It comes from Carona. Um, car being a Aquitanian uh, word for stony. So we're talking about a stony river or a stony bottomed river. Um, so I'm hoping to work backwards kind of and see if I can connect with a spirit or a uh, entity of the Garonne River. Because as I mentioned, I grew up on Lake Michigan and the Grand River is right in my hometown. So I'm very connected to rivers, meeting lakes, oceans, et cetera. Um, and I really want that connection at some point. For sure. Really what you're looking at is Renes Pater. <laughs> All roads lead to Renes All Pater. roads. <laughs> yes. They don't call him the father of nymphs and rivers for nothing. My plug over, please continue. <laughs> not at all, not at all. Speaking of the Rhineland, the, <laughs> the uh, Trevor, I, um, I mean, I could, I could babble on forever about uh, the various deities worshipped there, but um, one, um, one couple of deities that I uh, like to highlight as, as being kind of, uh, maybe not unique, but, but definitely distinctive to uh, the Trevoran region um, are a local Mars, Linus Mars, and uh, his Paradros Ankamna. So this is kind of in keeping with the general theme that a lot of people will probably recognize from elsewhere, where there's like a Mars closely associated with a particular tribe, right? Like sometimes they're actually called Totatis, right? Or uh, in other cases, they'll be, you know, just specific to a particular tribal area, like Kikolois was uh, uh, with, uh, I think, the Lingones and, um, oh, I don't know, Segomo with the Aidui and so forth. Um, but uh, so, so Linus Mars or Lenus Mars is, uh, is the one specific to the Trevoran region. And he's kind of different from a lot of Marses uh, because he's uh, particularly uh, known as a healing deity. 
And also his name, Lenos, has been interpreted to mean like grove, like a, a, a copse of trees, um, and related to the uh, Welsh word uh, sloin of the same meaning. So, um, which kind of intersects in an interesting way uh, with uh, Nematona, who's the other partner of a Mars-like deity in uh, the uh, sort of southern, or, or not southern, the, the lower, uh, more easterly uh, uh, section of the Treveran country, uh, where Mars Loketius and Nematona are a thing, and Nematona is uh, I'm sure everybody uh, listening knows is uh, sort of the goddess of the grove, quintessentially, right? And uh, so anyway, we've got uh, Linus Mars also connected, um, though in a, uh, in a woodsy, though also in a martial and kind of healing capacity um, uh, farther up the Moselle around Trier and, and the vicinity. And um, Ankamna is interesting as well because she's sort of analogous to, to other deities like Nematona or like um, Victoria or uh, I don't know, there's a handful of others that are probably less widely known like Inkiona, who um, you know, are, are attested alongside Mars and have kind of a, a victory sort of connotation um, but also in her case, um, are like, you know, very much grounded in these, uh, different healing, uh, shrines or places where there's a, a spring known to be, uh, of, of health giving, uh, benefit. So, you know, it's, it's in the Marses, I think in particular that you kind of get the most, uh, bang for your buck perhaps in, uh, being regionally specialized because, they are a little different, you know, from one uh, place to another. And, you know, if you're just kind of like, oh, I'm going to be generic totatus or whatever, you wouldn't necessarily be digging into all of the specificities of a particular, uh, particular cult situation. Oh, and Linus Mars, just to <clears throat> kind of conclude that uh, thought, is also associated with these nymphs, the Xulsigiae, who similarly are attested on one, uh, one votive <laughs> stone, one inscription. Uh, we know they were there, we know they were uh, associated with, uh, with the Linus Mars shrine, but, um, you know, uh, again, it's, they're, they're of interest, they're of significance if you're digging into, like, Linus Mars as one of the most prominent deities of the Treveri, um, but you probably wouldn't pay any attention to the Tsulsigiai if you were, you know, just kind of casually browsing uh, down the list of, uh, of Gallic deities. And, uh, you know, we've also got some, uh, some other uh, interesting uh, deities as well. Intarabos um, is primarily, I don't think exclusively, but definitely primarily okay. Trevoran. Um, Ratona, uh, for those who are interested in fords and fording, she's she's attested from the Treveran region primarily, not not exclusively. Um, Apollo and Serona, um, a lot of Jupiter and Juno inscriptions, 
Um, you know, people weren't weren't too fussy about uh, screening out, you know, their their uh, Romanized uh, names of deities. Um, Diana was very popular. Um, but the most, the most popular, the most, anyway, the most widely attested by number of inscriptions uh, deities were uh, Mercury and Rosmerta, um, or, or at any rate, Mercury most popular among gods, Rosmerta most popular among goddesses. Um, so, uh, and, and it is kind of interesting that they're, they're nearly always referred to as Mercury and Rosmerta. Like you get one Celtic name, <laughs> it's not, it's not like, Mercury something, Mercury Casomius or Mercury Vesupius. And right, Rome. because that would just be too convenient. It would be too much, too much Celticness all in one place. It might go to your head. So can't have all this Celtic in my Roman in my good Roman city. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But it's funny. I mean, you see the same pattern, like like normally, normally uh, your Apollo and Serona inscriptions say Apollo and Serona. They don't say Apollo Granis and Serona. There are exceptions. Yeah, we all there know it's Apollo Granis. Right, exactly. I mean, yeah, we, we know because of the context that the worshipers were probably thinking about Apollo Granis. But they didn't say so. <laughs> Most of them. <laughs> it's kind of it's like we could, we could all be wrong. It could be Apollo Borvo and we would never know. It could be. It could be. Yeah. I choose to believe it's not. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, balance probabilities. Um, yeah. So I think one of my favorite Rhineland pairings is uh, Dispater and uh, Eric Hura. Mm, yes. Which, that's an interesting pairing, too, because a lot of a lot of people kind of shy away from the Eric Hura Dispater scene. Right, the Romans were all like, Ooh, this potter's over there, but yeah. <laughs> Here, here's, here's your black sheep, leave me alone, please. <laughs> uh, so it's really interesting because if you look at Delamar's translation of her name, it's, uh, it's either wind of the west or wind from the west. I can't remember exactly. And so what it gets you and I have talked about this before. Um, yep. And so, as as a uh, similar to Proserpina and Hecate, is that how I say it? What it is? How do I, how do I pronounce that name? You know? Oh, Hecate, or however you like. I mean, Hecate. Just say it and I, let I, I someone correct you later. Hmm? Okay. Just say it and let someone correct me later. Yeah. You know. <laughs> yeah. However, that's how I did it last time. That's how I'm gonna keep doing it. Um, anyway, so being similar to those two. Uh, <laughs> okay, we're good now. So being similar to those two, uh, we we know that Eracure is definitely a goddess of the death, rebirth, agriculture, all these other things. And so uh, I'll I'll go into some more detail at the Comrade, which I will also be presenting at. Oh, my child's up. Hello, child. What? Hold on. It's bedtime. Why are you up so late? Go to bed. That's true. You do have a sleepover. That's fair. Anyway. 
Where was I? Where was I? Um, oh, Wind from the West. Yes, Wind from the West. So obviously, uh, through her interpretation with, uh, with Proserpina and uh, or Hecate, you can look at it and go, huh, this is absolutely an afterlife, uh, agriculture, rebirth, possibly uh, spring, all these other things. And so in my practice, she is kind of the opposite of a psychopomp. She like brings the souls, like the reincarnated souls back into the world from the West because, you know, the afterlife's in the West somewhere. We don't know where, but eventually you run out of West to go. And there it is. <laughs> so my, my comrade and plug, I'll be doing a, I'll be doing a presentation on uh, devotion, prayer, ritual, how to bring it into your daily life, that kind of thing. Uh, I will have a small breakdown and a full ritual to Erica at the same place. So be there, be square, guys. <laughs> I don't remember who was next or if I waited until the end to talk. You wait till the end. Excellent. All right, that was the gods and goddesses. All right. So here's an interesting one, especially for uh, Articados here. How did the Romanization of Gaul affect your region? And how have you either added those effects in or ignored them and said, no, pre-Rome, please, for me? Well, I'm definitely pre-Rome. I try to uh, focus more on the pre-Roman aspects uh, when I try to do, when I, uh, try to do reconstruction. Um, Reno is more of the post-Roman he's like that um <clears throat> those uh, damn dirty heathen uh in the uh in the gallic wars uh and just I, I i can't remember the other historians who have kind of talked on it i think pliny's probably mentioned it maybe i don't know um so uh after the events that uh i think after alessia um rome colonized um uh, uh, you know the the alps um you know the uh and they i'm not sure if it was how how soon after uh lost the timeline in my head but uh not long after the helvetti they just started uh taking these other um alpine tribes and uh, of course erecting a biggles you know trophy with all the names written on it which um uh I probably wouldn't probably wouldn't appreciate it at the time having a big old gloating trophy, but because of the big gloating trophy, I now have the names of all these Alpine tribes to work with. So uh, good and bad there. Um, so uh, after uh, Rome came in and colonized, uh, yeah, <laughs> that 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 big statue is the biggest um, example of uh, history is written by the victors type of thing uh but after rome colonized uh the alps they what they what they did was they established 12 uh cities for the helveti so uh aventicum um uh we don't know the original name of burn um 
but burn has a site that that dates to that time um uh i, I still i have to like research and look up the other like uh, 10 or so but um so they established these cities with the Aventicum being like the capital because of where it was on the trade route. Cause um, it, it, it was like the, the most um, financially uh, opportunistic spot, you know, a lot of trade went through there. Um, but uh, Caesar was kind of bitter of how much the Helveti fought against him. So they colonized, but they didn't grant the Helveti citizenship for quite some time. So thanks. Uh, <laughs> anyway, um, but uh, the Helvetti did fight back for a little bit. There were a couple rebellions and, uh, you know, over time they, they just kind of got, uh, you know, assimilated, but they still like, when you look at the inscriptions, they really held on to a lot of their deities. They were definitely Romanized when you look like uh, a Neclamara is her inscription is, right next to the name of uh, uh i forget which emperor but uh that that popped up during the uh rise of the uh imperial cultists where they started like worshiping uh dead uh emperors so which is kind of impressive that they they maintain these celtic deities even though um you know you had the introduction of uh roman gods and the imperial cultists uh and i think there was I think there was one more one more revolt and any any time uh, a gallic tribe seemed to fight back against uh rome the the helvetii were like one of the first ones to kind of join in but they would get kind of squashed put and <laughs> sent back sent back to uh sent, sent back to the alps um but uh they really started relying on rome when uh when the Suebi and the alemanni and other Germanic tribes, the Burgundy, uh, started coming in. Uh, um, and uh, sorry, I'm just I'm getting tired. <laughs> um, sorry, it's only eight thirty. There, you weren't allowed to be tired. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you do but, have eighteen kids, though, so I guess it's a just the whole tribe in the house, which it, it definitely feels like that some days. Um, uh, but yeah, uh, they, they definitely were very resistant to Roman rule and it just, there was a lot of back and forth because, you know, they would, uh, they would kind of revolt and rise up Rome would come and kind of squish them and, you know, to, you know, take rights away kind of thing. Um, but near the end, they, they did start relying more and more on each other. Um, and then the, the, the Germanic tribes came in and that was kind of the end of it. Uh, then, you know, the uh the alamani and the burgundy kind of settled in um and essentially the the celtic identity was kind of set to you know pushed to the side and uh, made room for the germanic culture um and yet uh, a lot of a lot of celtic ideas and and uh and ways of living kind of remained and i and i think that's definitely in part thanks to um uh trans up was it Oh, Randall's going to be mad when he sees this. Uh, Transalpine, uh, essentially the process of uh, people heading up into the mountains during spring and coming back down during winter because you have a lot of 
uh, isolationism. People were able to maintain a lot of the smaller villages and, and uh, essentially smaller tribes and, and maintain a lot of the culture through that way is what is what I'm um, is what my theory is on that. But um, transhumanism, transhumanism, yes. Thank you, thank you. Sorry, it's Reno. Common in the Pyrenees as well. Yeah, yeah. you can message him right now and say, "Art, right, fuck it up." <laughs> yep. Yep. Oh, he's gonna be so mad at me. <laughs> Uh, so interesting. Uh, so when Reno moved moved away, uh, he he gave me a little travel altar case, and uh, in it he gave me a Swiss Army knife with his name engraved on it as a going away present, and a Swiss franc. Oh wow! It's funny, which they still use. Yes, which is kind of funny in my mind. Uh, but the back of it has Helvetica on it, the spirit of Switzerland. Yep, that was Switzerland. Um, Switzerland very much still identifies as a Celtic. Um, yeah, the, the it's Hel- Celtic roots. That's why when you when you look it up, uh, Helvetia is the the tribe that always kind of pops up because that name really like had dug root, you know, had roots with the culture like throughout the ages. And, and when Napoleon eventually was able to, t- to take Switzerland, he called it the uh, the Helvetic Republic. Um, so yeah, it's it's. I mean, there's a lot of pride in that. That uh, even though you had all these different, you know, empires and cultures kind of coming in and, and oppressing uh, the the people, that they still maintained um, that Helvetic pride. And he's by the way, Reno is also sending me a Swiss Army knife too. I'm really excited to get it. But I think after hearing this, he'll probably try to throw it at me. I'm gonna call him and tell him to do that. <laughs> Which I can't do because I don't have his phone number either. <laughs> so I want to jump in on the Romanization question because I think there's a there's a lot of interesting complexities to this. And since I'm I think the last person uh, not to yet have plugged their Comreton presentation, I'm going to be presenting on uh, Romanization in Roman Gaul and all of its ins and outs of the good, the bad, the ugly, and the, and the pretty. There were some pretty things too. So uh, anyway, um, the, in, in my region, uh, you know, around the Treveri, um, you can see the effects of Romanization in a lot of different ways, certainly in the names of the deities that people worshiped, um, which were, you know, more Latin than not, even if you weren't Roman, right? Even the the non-Roman citizens were using Latin, at least on their public inscriptions. They were probably speaking to each other in in Gaulish, but um, uh, then translating, you know, for public consumption in Latin. Um, And you can also see um, a couple of really interesting specific features that crop up in uh, the region too. One, I've already mentioned the Jupiter Gigantensäulen, which, you know, kind of encompass a certain cosmological idea, right? Where here's here's Jupiter who's who's triumphing over the forces of chaos, at least according to one common interpretation of of this monument with all these other deities and the winds and the, the uh, the seven planets and so forth, uh, kind of arrayed around him and beneath him. Um, and, uh, and so that's, that is a very typical monument of the Rhineland region. Um, 
Another couple of uh, distinctive things that you see um, actually primarily on funerary monuments, and the Trevori were nuts with their funerary monuments. They have the, the most kind of vivid uh, depictions of like people in daily life and, you know, just kind of dolled up in these, in these pretty ways. There's this really dramatic um, uh, carved stone uh, image of a wine ship indicating, you know, kind of the importance of commerce in, in wine down the Moselle. Um, and um, anyway, a lot, of, a lot of ways of kind of commemorating the way people lived on their monuments uh, for, for after, uh, after they no longer were uh, among the living. Um, so one common motif on those funerary monuments um, is Bacchic imagery. So you see dancing menads, you see uh, the god Bacchus or Silenus or, you know, these other kinds of, you know, basically images of people partying and making merry and drinking lots of wine to return to that theme. Um, and, uh, you know, this, this kind of image of what comes after uh, death, you know, which I find quite interesting. Probably there was some sort of idea comparable to that in Celtic times, but it's really unknowable. And, um, you know, and uh, the introduction of viticulture is thought to have been a Roman era thing. So, um, so it could be, you know, that the Romans introduced this idea of like, you know, partying, partying with Bacchus or with Liber Pater after death as a kind of aspirational uh, thing if you did well. And if you did extremely well, um, you could also shoot for apotheosis, which is uh, the, other, uh, the other thing I wanted to mention where um, we have, you know, these, um, uh, for instance, this gigantic uh, funerary monument called the, uh, the Eaglesäule. Um, Eagle is the name of the place. It's not an actual eagle like the bird. Um, where uh, you see this uh, among a bunch of other uh, low reliefs, um, this central panel showing Hercules kind of rising to heaven where, where Minerva is like inviting him in and uh, there are different like winds arrayed all around, kind of showing like, you know, if you, if you are welcomed into heaven, if you, if you become, you know, if you are worthy essentially, you know, you could attain apotheosis like Hercules did is kind of the, uh, the, the concept there. And, you know, so this is a, an, interesting, um, an interesting thing where I have no idea if, if the Celts had any uh, such concept, probably, but perhaps not in that exact form. Um, oh, and then just one, one final um, thing about kind of how Romanization left its mark in an interesting way. Like, so um, in Trier, okay, so, so Trier itself is an Augustan era city, right? It was, it was founded uh, in the time of the Emperor Augustus. And we know this, among other reasons, because its name is Augusta Treverorum. <laughs> They're not, not hiding it. It's named after Augustus. And, um, and yet in Trier, you know, this, this uh, Augustan era, Roman era uh, city, there are all kinds of Celtic shrines. Um, so not only is there the great 
you know, shrine for uh, Linus Mars on sort of the, the left bank of the Moselle. Um, on the right bank of the Moselle, there's this entire complex of uh, local uh, shrines to various deities, um, including Ratona, including Nematona, including uh, Vorio and Alana, and you know, the list goes on, it's, it's nuts. Um, side by side with uh, little shrines or, uh, or little temples um, to like Mithras or, you know, to all these other deities who are, who are also popular, Mars, um, who are also popular uh, in, in kind of the Gallo-Roman context. So like, yeah, just kind of accommodating, kind of grappling with and trying to accommodate in my own mind this, all of these different complexities is sort of what spurred me to be um, a Gallo-Roman polytheist specifically, because, you know, uh, <laughs> I, don't, I wouldn't know how to begin to disentangle, you know, these various threads of, of cultural interchange. Because, um, I mean, you know, there could have been a pre-Roman shrine in this area. There could have been, but I mean, most of what we have is definitely Roman era. So yeah, it's uh, it's it's just uh, it's a it's a fascinating jumble, really. I also find it difficult to untangle the Roman uh, uh, inscriptions, evidence, etc., from where I am and what I'm looking at. Um, I have to preface some of this with uh, how many times have I listened to the History of Rome podcast by Mike Duncan? Uh, 19 full listens and I have cried at the end of the last episode every single time. Um, I am a huge history buff and that was uh, an absolute experience with a capital E for me, that podcast. So I do have a soft spot for Rome in general. Um, that was pre coming into uh, the, the Gaulish perspective on things. Um, but a lot of uh, what I'm looking at recently, like I said, I'm, I'm focusing in on a lot of um, deities along the Pyrenees. And it is hard to untangle any Roman influence from that because we do have a lot of syncretic Marses and Mercuries um, floating around. And I do find that uh, informative for some larger aspects of these deities um, that allows me to try and look for similar concepts uh, ingrained in local folklore um, and try to work backwards to something maybe a little more pre-Roman uh, influence. But like I said, I also have a lot of Basque going on in there um, besides that as well. Uh, I'm checking my notes. Okay, <laughs> I just read, actually just finished reading this week, um, a really fascinating book that was recommended to me um, by uh, David Wallace Hare. He is a scholar who is doing a lot of work on... Um, Silvopastoral deities and um, right along the uh, right along the Pyrenees and Aquitanian uh, influenced, and he recommended uh, Rome in the Pyrenees um, by Simon Cleary. Um, it was a fascinating read. Um, something that I got out of that that uh, I had never thought about before. It was an interesting take, and I'm still sitting with the feelings about it is um, arguments that there was a lot of regional identity that wasn't completely codified until Rome got into the Pyrenees itself. Um, he does a, a deep dive on Covene, um, which I'm probably pronouncing wrong, southwest of Toulouse, specifically to look at this, um, that it was a region that, you know, people were 
established there. They had their their culture. They were um, big on marble. There's a lot of marble work that comes out of that area. Um, but that it really didn't become kind of a, a region built up in status and greater standing until Rome got into that region anyways. Um, and I had to sit there the whole book and and sit with those feelings because I've I've been trying to unentangle Rome from Gaulish perspective and now I'm re-entangling Rome back into Gaulish perspective. I don't think I can really ever get away from it um, with what I'm at. Um, but that's why I chose Gallo-Pyrenean to describe what I'm doing as well, because I've got Gaulish influence, I've got Basque influence, I've got uh, Roman influence, I've got Greek influence down on the Mediterranean side, and these are all things that I want to address, explore, and um, if I can at least unentangle it and make it look kind of like a tapestry that's got some order to it at the end of the day, I will be happy with what I've done, so. Real quick. <laughs> Real quick, I want to just mention that uh, uh, I'm not trying to like shame like uh, Gallo-Roman practices. Like uh, <laughs> I, I was kind of thinking back to what I was saying. Is like I was I was kind of harsh. Um, no, not at all. I, I didn't take it that way at okay. all. I mean, like, like it's we're talking about different time periods, right? Like it's and and to be honest, you guys have a harder time of it because I just I just look at the exact you know thing. It's like okay, that's what. That's what it says on the inscription. I'll go with that. Apologranus yeah. <laughs> it is. Exactly, right? I got no problem with Apologranus. He's great. Yeah, There's I value just... in all perspectives, too. So I appreciate yeah, I... your perspective, Articados. It's it's yeah, one absolutely. that I wish I could cue more closely to, but if I did, I don't think I'd have a darn thing to be jumping off of at any yeah. point. So, well, so it, it doesn't help that, you know, I've, uh, I have I have uh, Caesar's uh, Gallic Wars and, like, just... Um, reading about some of the things that that happened i was it 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 makes my blood boil a little bit and then it doesn't help that i uh i have listened to the uh hardcore history the um gaulish holocaust uh which was like it's like a six hour like youtube thing and like i, I haven't finished it yet but yeah he covers a lot of hardcore stuff that happens <laughs> and uh but on the other hand if you anyone that's got uh, magellan tv uh there's a lot of really good documentaries on there both uh, on Roman stuff and on, on and some Celtic stuff on there too, but uh, yeah, but I just wanted to make that perfectly clear. I don't want people thinking I'm like uh, um, I'm hating on Romans because you know I was married to an Italian woman for a little bit. My kids are half four. Of my kids are half Italian, so there's there's no bias there. <laughs> no, I uh, I gave I gave up actually trying to separate the Rome and. The Gaul and the Germany, and I just went well. If I make a, if I just take a Roman base and cut the Roman names off the gods, I'm good. <laughs> but it doesn't always work, unfortunately, or it may not always work. See, this is it doesn't, thing. and I hate it. Yeah, yeah. And so then yep. I go, well, I don't need to go this route anyway. And then I look somewhere else, and then I come back to it, and I go, yes. <laughs> um, sometimes an epithet it really is an epithet we don't know what the original name was exactly um i definitely sounds like when you read it mars interavus mars between the rivers like that definitely reads like an epithet as opposed to a god in his own right 
but he's usually referred to in inscriptions as intarables. It's normally Deo intarable. Marti yeah. intarable only comes up once. Weirdly, I mean, you know, and and it's on the it's on the uh, sculpture where he's depicted looking a lot like Sylvanus. So, which there is also Mars Sylvanus. Exactly. Yeah. Which is something, something peculiar is going on here. <laughs> it's like a, a weird double one. separatism or something. It's like you're an odd one. <laughs> um, now, so Romanization is uh, always an interesting topic to talk about because there are always two very, very different takes in the room. You're like, Rome is the worst thing that ever happened. And then Rome is the only reason we know anything. <laughs> it's. It's one of my favorite topics to talk about, actually, as far as this stuff goes. Um, you should definitely observe my romanization presentation, then. I will either observe it or I will watch it on YouTube. Excellent. <laughs> it's, I am looking forward to it. Um, so I guess... We already kind of went over that with the how have you tailored your practice to reflect your chosen region, at least to an extent when we talked about the Romanization. But now, now that we're past that, I think this is actually the last major question I have. Um, as we are running into the obnoxiously long part of it. Not six hours, but two hours is a while. <laughs> Anyway, so let's go with that. How, do, how have you tailored your practice to kind of reflect your chosen region? Uh, something that Reno and I both have been working on is trying to work some more Rhine influ Rhineland influence into, into our practices. He's going through uh, from an Alemanni perspective and I'm coming in from a Frankish perspective, a heavily Roman Frankish perspective, but it's 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 really interesting. We're looking at like the the baby proofing ritual that they did where they would dunk babies in the Rhine. And there's a lot of other stuff that we're looking into in the area, and it's really interesting. And once we've got some things ironed out, we can actually talk about them. <laughs> right now it's just, yeah, this is pretty cool. It's a river. <laughs> so it is a very heavy work in progress for me and the Rhine. I'm uh, working on a pretty large project myself for trying to figure out a Gallo-Pyrenean uh, custom, basically, um, which I one day just sat down and went, wouldn't it be kind of nice to, to put this all into words and put it out there and see if anyone else resonates with it? So I am currently working on building another blog, um, working title Bessus Banobrogi, um, the custom of the mountain district. Um, and so I've been looking at um, ways to kind of translate uh, into practice uh, seasonal cycles that you may find in the Pyrenees. Um, I spent some time thinking on this uh, and looking at, um, I think Articatos mentioned earlier, uh, transhumans, um, where you have the uh, moving of the flock up the mountains in the summer and then back down into the valleys in the winter, et cetera. 
Um, and through some meditation uh, and some consultation with my uh, Prini set, um, I have been uh, working on Aman Mesos, uh, the time of reaping, and Aman Kanki, uh, the time of resting, and figuring out uh, kind of seasonal um, days of celebration and how to reflect those in my life here in Michigan, um, which is definitely not anywhere near the Pyrenees. Um, <laughs> the Amon Mesas, uh, the time of reaping is uh, through the spring and the summer um, and kind of reflects a time of, of higher activity, um, a lot of movement, a lot of getting things done. Um, I'm currently looking at uh, how the seasonal cycle would look for that, but it kind of starts with the birthing of the lambs in the spring, the moving up into the, the high mountains and the celebration of uh, being up there, you know, I know I mentioned a lot of Basque folklore it takes place underground, but I always think of being up on top of the mountains as being closer to the gods, um, just because altitude. Uh, <laughs> and then the moving back down and coming to like the, the market at the end of the year where you sell all of your, um, all the livestock that you're looking to sell and kind of celebrating that. Um, and then the Amantanki, uh, the time of resting, um, is more self-reflected and I have it grounded in um, ancestral practice a little more, kind of looking in on you, the home, what you need to take care of in the home, etc. Um, there is a reflection of what you did in the last year and, and how that how you can take that through um, into the next Amon Mesas. Um, there's some interesting things that happen in the Pyrenees as well. Um, there is a divination of the grasshoppers that happens in the Pyrenees in January, which was very interesting to read about. And I was like, I'm all about divination with small animals. Uh, <laughs> I don't have grasshoppers to use, but um, using that kind of uh, celebration, you know, to take a divination for I'm at the very end of my period of rest and what do I need to look forward to when I move into my, my time of reaping and harvesting things. Um, I also find a lot of value in shared flora and fauna study. Um, as I was mentioning, there are a heck of a lot of tree deities out in the Pyrenees. Um, and of course, I've got beech trees and I've got pine trees all over in Michigan. Um, I can find a very easy connection there to go spend time out in my local parks and environments I have here to kind of um, spend time with those trees and, and see what I get from it and see if I can, you know, see the beech nuts on the ground, get a better visualization of what that was like to, you know, to feed uh, boars and, and people ate beech nuts as well, etc. Um, and then uh, respectful study and interpretation of the folklore that I am finding that's still in the area today. Um, tied in with that, um, that ancestral uh, time of the year, um, something that's very intriguing to me there is a concept of like a house mother in basque folklore um, where the the woman of the house is, has a very strong uh an important role in representing the family um she's the one that stays at home while you know the the men go out with the flocks up into the mountains obviously they can't do any uh transactions that involve you know being around the home life when they're way up the mountain um so she uh represents the house at like local church services um, there's been uh, things I've read about her blessing every family member with the ancestral blessings each year. Um, and I found a very intriguing line about how um, the house mother helps facilitate the passage of the newly dead as, after they've been dead for a year into an afterlife of sorts. And that was like, I need to figure out where that rabbit hole goes because I want in on that. Um, 
you know, so slapping time frames on it. <laughs> it is a very specific time frame. Why is that? I need to find that out. Um, but that that kind of following a, a periodization of the year, you know, I I want to bring more of that into my practice, and I think that's how I can best translate that without being anywhere near the Pyrenees Mountains. So it's my ramble. Hell yeah. That's uh, awesome. For, I wish I were doing all those kinds of things. <laughs> uh, for me, I'm, I'm slowly developing something called uh, uh, Artobasis, which is a bear custom. Uh, I believe that's that's something that might have happened. Like I was like uh, when I was in writing my uh, uh, RTO article, just like, having all those bear stuff in one city, it just seems like they're they're I don't know how there wouldn't be some kind of bear cultist. Um, so I've just been developing something like that where uh, RTO is and like, you know, I never even, I have not been to the Alps myself. I want to someday. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping to hopefully when COVID's over. <clears throat> but uh, uh, in the meantime, just how RTO kind of represents the going into hibernation during the winter uh, and coming out to a kind of usher in spring. Uh, it represents, you know, it, it, it represents the um, the the mountainous terrain and how it, it, it is uh, can benefit uh, um, it, it benefits uh, humans, you know, uh, being able to take shelter in, in caves and how they can seem kind of like a gateway to, to another world, especially uh, how, you know, freaky and creepy they can be if you like if you're like me and watch like supernatural videos. <clears throat> which uh, it's getting to be that time of year where I'm watching a lot of scary stuff, but uh, how, you know, RTO when she's in hibernation, how she's kind of in this kind of dream meditative uh, state, how, you know, it, to kind of reflect that in a way um, the few times I have been able to meditate, it's usually in like a super dark, you know, room. And that's, that's the best way for, for myself to meditate and actually get some kind of like, noticeable results then there's uh andarta who's kind of a a, a war goddess um her name means uh, her name means a uh, great slash powerful bear um the the few divination things i've done for her very very aggressive not not like hostile necessarily when i have tried to like kind of reach out and communicate to her but like that's kind of the energy i get from her and um the <clears throat> the kind of imagery I get is like a bear kind of out in the woods hunting. So you have this kind of tree imagery. Um, then there's Matthew Tennis, who is a, um, one of the many, 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 many Mercury figures um, who, uh, because uh, the, the name Matu is uh, linked to a, um, I think uh, uh, like a replacement word for um, bear. Cause uh, there are some cultures that were saying the name bear or saying a, a word that directly, uh, is linked to the animal bear was kind of like a taboo, like, you know, don't say bear because they'll show up if you say bear. So what they did was they would replace it. And that's where, um, that's part of the, the etymology of Matutinus. Um, and uh, the divination I've done for him, I got a lot of like water imagery. So it, it, and it's, it kind of made sense to where you have Artio, who's kind of the, the mountain bear, uh, and Darda, who's kind of the forest bear. So Matutenis is kind of the, the river bear. And that's kind of like the three areas you're going to find bears uh, out in the wild. So um, 
that that's just kind of I, I've got a long road ahead of me in developing this, but um, this RTO article I'm writing is kind of like the the start of it. And it's and it's something where like like what you said, uh, I don't live in the Alps, but it's the closest thing I'm going to get to developing something in my personal practice that kind of um, honors and resonates uh, with you know this kind of Alpine um, vision. <clears throat> well, all right. It does sound like you've got quite the road ahead of you here. Because I'm just not busy enough, you know. I'm just, I'm, I'm just. There's, I need more things. I need more things to do. Something I personally would like to see, uh, just as an aside, is us get away from using the word "vessus" for everything. Not, not because it's a bad word, just because I hate it at this point. Like I'm it's sick of hearing wrong with it. I just, I just despise its guts. That's all. <laughs> like I'm sick of it. <laughs> there, there, there are other, other, other ways to say things. You don't, not necessarily custom. You don't have to say custom for everything. There's like path, way, manner. Uh, I'm actually putting together a list right now. To- I'll I'll take you up on that. I'll take you up on yes. that. I, I might I might rename my thing because also because my name is Artokados and I'm naming something Artobesis. It just seems a little uh, Yeah, that it just seems very ugh, I, I don't, narcissistic. I don't, yeah, that's how dare you. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I look at because I abbreviate what I'm working on is BBB and all I ever think of is Better Business Bureau. So I will take um, <laughs> suggestions. something besides another b thing to throw in when i'm abbreviating it because sometimes i'm just like that better business bureau says and i'm like god why did i do that (laughs) okay all right hold on so this part out of the recording but the kids fell asleep oh my god (laughs) nice Okay, we can we can we can keep going. Um, yeah, so I'm gonna send you guys a list because I hate the word "bestus" at this point. It's not a bad word. I have no real personally. I, I mean, all my issues are personal with it. But <laughs> it's according a, to some, it means what you're using it for, huh? According to some, "bestus" might be the bestest word. So. Hey, it just. It is what it is. I can't make people stop using it, but I can definitely say we should stop using it for everything. <laughs> Ooh, we. All right. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I don't actually have much to add um, regarding tailoring <laughs> your practices to a regional cultist, although I do like all of the above that, that you guys have been, have been saying. Uh, I'll also make a plug for Moselle wine, um, which can be quite nice as a thing to drink. They specialize in these like Rieslings that aren't garbage. They're like actually really tasty. And you can offer that stuff to like Mercury, whoever, just saying, it works. I've had a lot of success with wine as offering. Uh, whether, whether it's, uh, um, you know, one of the Dayway or some local spirit. They they love wine. 
sorry i just realized that i said i love you randomly and it doesn't make any sense to anyone that didn't see me talk to my wife just now (laughs) (laughs) anyway i love you too too. we love you too good um anyway i think that's just about it for the night yeah uh having you guys back on the show but tired Yeah, I mean, I, I thought we might have time to do uh, one of the the Senogis's bell, one of the SB virtues, but um, it's getting late. I'm getting worn out. I, I got oh. some carving to do. It's so. midnight here, and I still fully intend to go try to curl my hair for my Oktoberfest tomorrow. So I'm gonna be up for a little while longer. But yeah, I am getting kind of tired. <laughs> my right, hair, we'll my start, hair, we'll start, we'll start with the virtue next time. Yeah, we'll we'll do virtue stuff next time. Well, our virtue can be going to bed early. Yes, the virtue now is rest. Yes. As early as possible. (laughs) Which for some of us is midnight, for others is nine (laughs) o'clock. Well, thank you guys very much for being here. This was this was a lot of fun. I think the last couple of podcasts have been have been fun, but this one was this one was a good one. And uh, yeah, the fact that we barely saved the part of the recording that i thought was lost i was i almost lost my mind um but no it looks like it's it it converted it looks like it it's all there 40 40 minutes and 57 seconds is sitting there well now we now we get to find out just how bad that jump cut's gonna be <laughs> oh it's it's gonna be it's gonna be amazing so, i'm thank I, I, you guys I, for I having me yeah i can't wait yes, to, i can't I wait do. to listen to this just to hear us all cry no this that. is this is the first time I've ever done anything like this. So uh, I hope I didn't make a complete ass of myself. Um, <laughs> and I hate listening to myself on recording. So this is going to be real fun, isn't it? But I have a lot of friends who are super hype to listen to this podcast. So um, oh, my, I posted it on Facebook and it's like my most liked status of the year. So um, <laughs> yeah, I, no already, pressure. Already, post, already posted it in Galchat. I was like, hey, this this episode is great. <laughs> it really and is great. A lot Everybody of new subscribers and future five-star reviews coming. <laughs> I hope so. I mean, I've you well, know, I I said I've been a polytheist for fifteen years. I have a lot of friends who are in that community, so um, well, they're well, both I, pretty hype. I was looking at the uh, I was looking at the introductions in uh, in Gaul chat, and uh, I said someone in Germany found found the Discord through uh, through this podcast. So I was like, holy oh, shit! Nice. Um, yeah, but no, it took me a long time to get used to hearing my my voice recorder, especially when I was trying to edit out all the ums and, and like uh, I don't know, once you once you go into that kind of detail, trying to erase every verbal error you make, you get used to your own voice. <laughs> See, that's why that's why on on my podcast, I just I just hit record in work while I'm driving, and then I just post it. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. Whatever just happened in this last 20 minutes, here you go, guys. <laughs> All right. Well, thanks. Like you guys I start for- out with an idea and then who knows where we end up. <laughs> well, thank you guys again for being on. And uh, yeah, we'll probably have you guys here back on at some point. Um, yeah. Wonderful. Thanks so much. It's been a real pleasure. Yeah. Uh, especially, especially when we, uh, when we decide to plug, plug Mantle on next season. Uh, yeah. Yeah next, getting, season, yeah, next season. We're about getting Braun and Selk both on here. Oh, that's that cool. Really good. 
Good way to get that done. Yeah. All right, y'all. I'm going to go to bed. Yeah. Well, I'm going to go put on some music and curl my hair, I guess. <laughs> hey, Barros, a nice little going to bed thought is um, the whole next season, we're going over all the different besses. <laughs> can't, can't wait to have those conversations. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Everyone can decide which is the best besses. Yeah. <laughs> all right. Yeah. You guys take care. <laughs>